Welcome back to the Northeast Newscast. This week, I'm joined by Alejandro Perez, Board of Kansas City Parks and Recreation Commissioner and Scholarship Program Director for the Hispanic Development Fund of Kansas City. This episode of the Northeast Newscast was made possible by Shemeika's Online Market in Delhi and Seaburg Mufflers. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Abby. Thanks for the invite. Always good to chat with you. Of course. Um, And I know you've been busy this time of year with scholarship application deadlines coming up and everything. Tell us a little bit about your work with Hispanic Development Fund. Yeah, so this is kind of one of my colleagues refers to it as scholarship madness instead of, you know, like March madness, because March is part of uh, when we do some of our work, too. But so HDF, uh, the Hispanic Development Fund, We are actually part of the Greater Kansas City Community Foundation. We are one of the many funds um, there. And so we started out back in 1984 is when our flagship program, the scholarship program, launched, right? So it all started out as a small grant um, from the Hall Family Foundation. They spoke with Latino leaders and they said, you know, here's 10,000. This was like a year before we got started. So like in 83, um, like, you know, here's 10,000. You all know where your community needs it most. Um, We trust you (laughs) that you will use it where it's most needed. And then at the same time, they did the the same thing with the Black community, you know, the African-American community. And they said, here's 10,000 for your community. Use it as you see fit. And so both of our communities saw that the best use of those funds would be for higher education, access to higher ed. So our sister scholarship is the Black Community Fund, which is also housed at the foundation. So it's pretty cool because we both got started at the same time. Um, That first year, we granted the Hispanic Development Fund, granted 100 scholarships of $100. (laughs) And so, you know, very humble and 37 years later, um, we granted last year, I have 405 scholars. um, And with the match program with our partner schools, we've granted um, um, close to $800,000, right? So 37 years later, we have 4,500 alumni, and we've granted over $8 million. So you can see how it's really grown over the years. That is fantastic. And I love that the fund was like, here's the money. We're putting it into the hands of the community because they're the ones that are in tune with what's going on. They know what they need and look how far it's grown. Yeah. I love that, you know, that they actually gave the people a voice, not just said, this is where we think your community needs it. Right. So the first time I heard about the Hispanic Development Fund was actually from one of our interns who was a recipient of a scholarship um, when she was. I know who it is. Yeah. It's Daisy, isn't it? Daisy is all over Kansas City doing so many cool things. And I think she's she was a first generation college student, uh, just like yourself. And so when you see people getting these scholarships and then going on to do amazing things, you know, how does that make you feel? Um. (laughs) It's it's worth everything, you know. I, <laughs> I get so emotional just thinking about the privilege of the work that I get to do every day. Um, every single scholar, eighty percent of them are first generation college students, you know. So just to to know firsthand the struggle and the responsibility, and you know how much pressure there is 
um, not so much directly from your parents, but like you put that onto yourself, right? Because you're the first one and everybody expects like so much greatness. And then when you start to see those roadblocks, you get to school and, you know, you don't even know what like credit hours are, like what FAFSA is. Um, navigating higher ed can be so complex. And so having been there myself and, you know, it took me a long time to get my bachelor's degree because I had to stop out of school. My mental health just got to a place where, you know, it just wasn't healthy. I wasn't going to school. I wasn't going to work. Um, everything just kind of accumulated. And uh, my mom, my family came and they're like, you got to get back home. This isn't good. And so, you know, it took me a while to finish my degree. I didn't have the support systems like HDF. I wish there would have been a program like HDF when I was in school, because I feel like even just having that one person, you know, who believes in you and who who guides you. And so for a lot of our scholars, it's not even about our scholarship money. It's the fact that for so many of them, what we hear is that they feel seen, you know, they, they feel like we see them for who they are being Latino, Latinx, Hispanic students. And for a lot of them, it's their first scholarship. 16% um, of our scholarship actually went last year towards students who self-identify as undocumented or having DACA status. And we are, we take pride that we are one of the few scholarships in the nation that does not punish students for their lack of legal status, you know? So just them feeling seen and validated, that's for me like the most rewarding. I can't imagine, you know, being at 18 years old and Applying for scholarships, applying for schools was hard for me. And my parents speak English. My mom went to college. She was right there with me. What are some of those barriers that students face when they're, you know, deciding if they should go towards secondary education? Yeah, so that's a great question. And as I mentioned, our flagship program is a scholarship program. But three years ago, we started uh, what's called the Family College Prep Program. So with this program, it was designed to help um, students achieve their post-secondary goals, right? So we were seeing that um, a lot of students were going on to college, but they were not retaining, they were not, you know, graduating. So it's like, okay, we have the we have the scholarship, we give them the graduation, but what about retention? So, you know, one of our one of our ways to work towards um, Increasing that is to have early intervention. So we were very strategic about the schools that we approached. So we went to predominantly, you know, students, um, schools that have BIPOC students, right? A large, large percentage of Latino students, of course, who are the Hispanic Development Fund, but also um, the six schools that we're at this year, the six high schools for the Family College Prep Program, we are on both sides of the state line. So in Missouri, we have um, East High School, we have Lincoln Prep, we have Guadalupe Centers High School, and then we have Olathe North, we have Wyandotte High School, and we have Bishop Ford. So all of those high schools you know, have a large percentage of um, Hispanic students, but they also are super diverse, right? Like I know East High School represents 52 languages. <laughs> and so we embed ourselves in those schools. We have um, college advisors from our team that at each school, we have one college advisor 
twice a week for the full day, just serving the students, you know, working on, on everything, like you mentioned, FAFSA for those who are FAFSA eligible, um, college apps, everything that you can think of. And then, of course, those that want to go like into the trades or directly into the workforce, you know, we work on resumes, we work on if they want to go to the military, just connecting them because a lot of them, they don't have any connections in, in the community because, you know, they're, they are first gen. And so um, now that we've been, we've been doing this work, it's really awesome because I'm working with students from all different ethnicities, right? Um, the family college prep program, once we're in the schools, we work with everyone. So for example, like at Lincoln Prep, the majority, probably about half and half actually of my caseload is um, black students and Latino students. I have some, of course, you know, Asian students, um, Caucasian students, whatever. So we do help everyone and we take pride in, in that. Um, we're able to help all the families. We put together college fairs, um, just a lot of the services, you know, wraparound services. So it's not just here's your scholarship, you figure it out. It's like, no, here are the tools so that once you get the scholarship, you can be successful. Yeah, because getting in and paying for it is just the first step. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, you know, our scholarship, it's not the biggest scholarship. In fact, it probably the average scholarship is about $1,000, right? But for some people, you know, getting $500, that makes a huge difference. That means getting or not getting books, right? Books are so expensive that sometimes every little bit helps. That's really cool. And I love that a lot of those schools you mentioned on the Missouri side that you're working with this year serve students who live in Northeast, you know, East and yes. aren't that far away. <laughs> Girl, I am in the neighborhood four, four times a week. I am out there seeing, you know, and of course, I know we'll talk about parks later, but I, I get to see a lot of things out there that I don't see in my neighborhood, you know, so it always gets me to think about like the disparities. And I mean, there's just so much that we definitely, I wish we had more resources, you know, because the, the need outweighs the resources with you know, everything. <laughs> over 37 years, is it even possible to measure the amount of students you've helped? Well, with the scholarship, yes, because we have, you know, the data, I mean, as close as it can be, we have the 4,500 alumni, but we also... I get phone calls all the time because I have the main the main line for HDF and, you know, people who don't qualify for a scholarship. And here we are like doing FAFSA's online or, you know, speaking to families um, that are not part of our family college prep program. Like, what am I going to do? Say, no, you don't you don't qualify or you're not in our one of our schools. Good luck. It's like, no, we do anything that we can. You know, we go and we put on workshops um, in the community and everything, too. So. We've done some church um, outreach, just just trying to help everyone that we are able to reach. But again, our team is very small and we need more resources. <laughs> Tell me about your team. How how many people are included in that and what are their different you know, areas of expertise, I guess? So we're very excited because we just added two college advisors to our team. So if I would have had this conversation with you in November, I would have said there's three of us. <laughs> Uh, and our marketing director, she's amazing. She's um, actually, you know, she's not full time with us, but 
She does all of our social media, which if you follow us, it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, so we have her part-time, but then full-time, it was our director of development, John Carney, who's, we're all educators, right? Um, so he was a teacher at Harmon High School, Guadalupe Centers High School. So he's always worked with the population that, you know, that we serve. And then we have uh, myself, of course, I'm the director of the scholarship program, but I also had two high schools. Um, I was at Lincoln Prep in, in Guadalupe Centers in the fall and this spring because I'm mainly doing scholarship work, um, kind of took a step back. And then we hired, like I said, two advisors. So I did say we, there were three of us. Um, Melissa, she's over at Bishop Ward and at Wyandotte High School. So she's our advisor for, you know, Wyandotte County. And she graduated from Harmon High School, right? right? So our two new advisors, uh, Robert Sagastume and Elizabeth Montier, they're actually both, uh, they're HDF alumni. They both went all the way through their master's, like Elizabeth got her scholarship six years in a row or something like that. Robert had it um, a few years as well. And, you know, now they're back um, working with HDF, serving the students that they once were in their shoes. So just really excited about having a bigger team now so that we can serve more of our community. And I'm, I'll put, I, I think we have the best, the best team in the city and I might get, you know, shade for this one, but just really proud of, of our advisors and our little family. We're excited to watch you guys grow. It's time to take a break to thank our sponsors. Shamika's Online Market in Delhi, offering catering and nationwide shipping at shamikasonline.com. Find their new deli at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City. Shamika's, where customers become friends and friends become family. From classics to campers, hot rods to hoopties, Seaberg Muffler, your exhaust headquarters since 1974. Armor Road in Burlington in North Kansas City, Missouri. And now back to the newscast. As educators, how essential are programs like these? I know, you know, this isn't something that's seen in every school district, every city. Mm. You know, you've obviously seen the necessity. Yeah. It, you know, when I chat with the parents, like I'll get those phone calls. Uh, last week I had parents call me and we're not in their school. And they said, how come you're not over here? We could really use help, you know, from bilingual people that, they don't have these resources at this school. And just like you said, as educators, I know all my colleagues are doing their best. I know during the pandemic it's just been so taxing and so many people are leaving the profession. So it's even more overwhelming for those of us who are still here, you know? So um, it, it's just these programs. I wish every school could have it. And I know, you know, you have like your, your Missouri College Corps of Advisors and your Kansas um, advisors and all of that too, but every person can only do so much and every school can only do so much. So, uh, you know, I, I wish that, that we could be at all of the schools and hopefully in the future, uh, we will continue to grow or have organizations that are doing the work that we're doing in, you know, just we want, we want all the students to have access to what we're able to offer um, resources, <laughs> education, right? Every, everyone I, all the, everybody wants to do projects um, and it always comes down to budget cuts. Education gets so many budget cuts. The arts is just so 
frustrating for everyone in the field and, and the parents, the community, right? I know you see it, you feel it. <laughs> We've been talking a lot lately about as, you know, KCPS in particular is doing their blueprint 2030 plan, talking about quality of life for students. Uh And when we were, you know, standing in front of the cafe, cafe, uh, coffee truck, as the mayor was appointing you two to the board, um, one of the things you said was that community centers had such a part in your childhood when you were a student. Talk a little bit about how other community resources can kind of come into play to help students. Parks are for everybody, but how do we get the students involved in the parks using the community centers? Mm-hmm. Staying out of yeah, trouble. That, that's a great question. And that's something that in my short time as a commissioner, I think coming up in three months or so, you know, the the main reason why I said yes to it knowing that it would be time consuming and I don't have a whole lot of time to begin with is because of our youth, because I saw, you know, the intersection of, of both. Um, and I thought if we can get our youth involved with having access to these resources, it's out there. A lot of times it's just um, lack of information, not knowing what you don't know, not knowing what you have access to. And, and so if we can help get the word out, I mean, for example, right, I'm at this, we have these six high schools. Um, so I've already, I have the students at Lincoln Prep. Some of them are so funny because work got out and they're like, hey, commissioner. And I'm like, just call me Alex. <laughs> but so we've talked about doing like a spring break project, right? Doing something with the parks, uh, sign up to maybe do a volunteer of, uh, project. There are very small grants with the parks that I didn't even know about until I started doing my research, like $500 grants for different schools or churches if, if they apply and do a community service type of project. And I'm like, you know, these are little things that might not be much, but I didn't even know about it. I wish my colleagues knew about that too. Um, the students at Guadalupe Centers High School, I know the seniors are also looking into doing something um, with with the parks, right? Because they have to do like a senior project. And so um, just just getting the word out about the community centers. I've been, I recently went to um, the one up here on Antioch and there was like nobody there. It, it was really sad because, you know, we're talking about lack of funding. And if we don't have folks showing up to, these places, the next thing that happens is, you know, they get shut down because it shows, well, nobody's using them. Um, so that's not what we need. That's not what we want. And so I've struggled. Um, I'm all about like, okay, I try to say, where can I start? Because it's very overwhelming, right? When you think about the parks department and there's like 221 parks, there's the zoo, there is starlight, the boulevards, corridors, uh, fountains. <laughs> 48 fountains. Don't forget those. <laughs> Girl, that's what I'm saying. Fountains, mo- uh, landmarks, monuments, everything. And I'm like, okay, Alex, back, center. What did you say you wanted to work on? I don't know if you remember me talking about the quality of life improvement district, right? That's where I said, that's going to be my baby. That That's where I'm going to get my youth involved. That's where I'm going to get my community involved because for those who don't know about this culate of uh, the district. So like the, the parks, um, you know, we have like city council with the different um, council districts, right? But the parks is a little different where they also have their own districts. And so we have 
um, for the parks, for example, there is the North District, the Central District, the South District, and this Culate District. And it's like, well, what the what the heck does that mean? So those quality life investment district, um, it's mainly from what I've seen, it includes 38 parks. And these parks are mainly in like district three and five um, of what be, would be like the council districts, right? So the reason that they have those parks, I mean, that district is when they created this new program, and I don't want to, I don't want to tell you wrong, but just from what I know, um, the reason that they, that they created the quality of life investment district, and they put those 38 parks out of the 221 parks is because they did um, like a study in the city that showed that there were these uh, zip codes, six zip codes in Kansas City uh, that have the lowest life expectancy, right? And in those zip codes, there are 38 parks. So of course we know that you know the, there is there is a correlation between having access to you know food, uh, working out, like exercising, all of those things improve your quality of life, right? And when when these um, zip codes are also the same zip codes that have like food deserts and and where you see a lot of the houseless community, they created this district to kind of be like a one-stop shop, right? That they they wanted it to have different resources to improve those parks. So I get in there and I'm like, this is what I want to work on, right? And I met with the new director because as you know, we also have a new parks director. And he said, what are some things that you are interested that you would like to see within the park system? What are some of your projects you want to, that you want us to, to work on? And so I said, who's overseeing this truly, like connecting with them? You know, I want to learn all about this department, this district. And so then I find out like, uh, there is no one in that role right now, which I was like, that's what I was going to do. <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, so, you know, I'm always asking questions. And so next, I said, why not? What's going on? So the next thing I find out, there is a lot of vacancies in the parks department, right? Like 40%, which I was also like, 40%. <laughs> so I'm just always asking, like, why? And so um, I said, are there competitive wages, right? Like, where are we advertising um, these career opportunities? So. I went on the website and these are little things, right? But I just want to know where, where are people finding out about this vacancy? So nowhere on the parks website did I see like, you know, career opportunities. They had like volunteer with us, services, this and that. And so then I asked them, um, you know, at the next meeting, if we could add something on there, because there was like a tiny, you know, when you're browsing websites, <laughs> Sure. And you finally get to it. And it's like at the very bottom where it says like employment or like ADA, <laughs> like those are huge things. And so um, you clicked on that little employment button and then it takes you to the city website. And then you have to like select, are you a city employee? Are you like, you know, general um, community employment? And it's just like so difficult. It feels like so many barriers to just even find. So that's kind of what I go back to, you know, how easy is it or difficult to navigate even how to apply for a job? 
And so I, then I was able to get in there. And so I'm navigating as, as though I'm someone who wouldn't have a clue of where things are, right? And so it was not the the friendliest. And I chatted with them and um, they, they went back and, and they made that edit, which I thought was so cool, you know, because that kind of got me to see, okay, I might not know everything about like policy and this and that, like that other <laughs> folks know, but I'm trying to always look at things from the perspective of like a student, someone fresh out of college or, you know, um, someone who doesn't even have maybe just, you know, GD or um, high school degree. I mean, you know, diploma. So I'm always trying to look at things from the lens of a student, from the lens of uh, a community member. And I know those are probably like all annoying little questions that I ask, but I need to know. <laughs> hey, those changes, I mean, they might start small, but they make a difference. How do yeah, you? Yeah, so then I asked about, okay, what are these vacancies, right? And they haven't, so it's really cool because they're, I feel like they're listening and doing their best to answer my questions, my concerns, because they told me they're going to look and get me a report. And this is something I would have not been able to request, Abby, you know, like as a regular Alejandra, Alex. <laughs> working at HDF, I'm not just going to be like, hey, can you pull a report for me about vacancies and blah, blah, blah. So that's where I acknowledge my my privilege in being, you know, being on this board. I think that's great. How how do you like working with the new director, the other parks commissioners and the Casey Park staff? Yeah, so um, the new director, Director Cotton, he has worked, um, he was with parks before, you know, he's always, I mean, in Kansas City, um, I feel like his heart is in the right place. I feel like he's a genuine person. You know, he didn't have to ask to meet with me. I know basically, you know, he reports to the board, he reports to the commissioners, but he was very intentional um, from the start. We were appointed like two weeks before he started. And so we kind of started together, but of course he's got all the experience from having been here before. And, and so he got, I know he's a very busy person. His phone was blowing up the whole time we're meeting and we were going to meet for like 30 minutes to an hour. Well, it's like two hours later and he's still listening to me. I'm listening to him. And I think that is leadership, right? Where, where you want to hear from folks, not just say, I'm the director, this is what we're doing. And that's where I got to ask him about like all these different projects back to the QLED. I was like, well, when are we going to get someone in that position? Because I really care about these, um, you know, projects that we could be working on. And that's when he tells me that there are two vacancies for deputy directors. So it's not until we get those new deputy directors um, that we can probably start doing something around QLED. Because right now, I mean, if you look at the priorities, the house list, uh, they're more important, right? I mean, not to say it's just priorities. Right now it's the winter time. Why am I trying to fix a playground if we have folks freezing on the streets, right? It's just not the priority. But so there, so I think he's he's on the right track. Um, the commissioners, uh, I, I love uh, Mary, she, Commissioner Neal, um, she was very warm and welcoming from from the beginning. You know, it is an intimidating thing walking into a room like that. Um, Scott Wagner, he's he has a lot of experience and knowledge, you know, having been on city council and being with the parks for so long and just 
over there in the northeast. Uh, what's he doing? The Neat, right? Yeah. Yeah, Maddie Rhodes. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning a lot just like listening to him, um, listening to the other commissioners, to President Holland. So right now, I just feel like I'm just soaking it all up, right? Soaking it all in. Um, but they have been welcoming of Jackie and I. I think, you know, I, I speak for both of us. We've shared some of our feelings. And it is also nice to have started with Jackie because we have that in common that we're both new. You know, we're like the the, the freshmen. <laughs> <laughs> and we're both women of color. And so is um, Mary. Uh, so now actually this board, you know, it's three out of five women and all of us are women of color. Um, and I think that's historic. I don't know that there has ever been the case before. We'll have to look it up. I think that's, you know, really cool. <laughs> Either yeah. way, and it's exciting to have some of that young, fresh energy and you were all coming from very different backgrounds, very different sets of experience to kind of come together and workshop these different ideas, kind of make progress for the future. How does it feel to be part of that kind of new representation on the board, not just women, but women of color? Yeah, no, I I think it goes to show, you know, the demographics, it goes to show the makeup of this country. Um, And I think in, in order for So, you know, I I didn't want to be on this board when I was originally approached about it because I am, I feel like I just have too much going on, but I did get to thinking about this is an opportunity for me to be, to have a seat at the table, literally. And, And so then this will open up, help other students, other youth who look like me to say, oh, you know, Miss, um, Ms. Alex, <laughs> Commissioner Alex is, uh, Perez is on this board. So she looks like me, right? Then there's Commissioner Williams Neal, a, a Black, you know, African-American woman. So there's uh, Commissioner Gwen, Jackie. And so I think the representation, of course, is important. And I, I can't say that I grew up with that. You know, I, I grew up, I went to school in Sedalia, Missouri. So I never saw anybody who looked like me, no educators. I didn't even have an educator of color till I started my master's in my thirties. So the fact that I went through high school, community college, undergrad, and not have sat in a classroom of a Latina, you know, I I didn't think I could be like, I don't know, uh, (laughs) coming from, you know, as an immigrant, to, to get a master's degree because I didn't really see that, right? So I, I love the fact that now as things are, are, are changing and people are being more mindful of, of who is on these boards because I, I've served in other boards. I've been to so many things where you look around the room and it's like, oh, okay. I will do a count, Abby. I'm like, okay, 12 out of 14 here are men. <laughs> and our white men, you know, 10 are over 60. And so even just looking at like who our current president is, right, close to being 80 years old, a white man. And I mean, uh, of course, there is Vice President Kamala Harris. So now it's uh, a woman of color, right? So just remember, you know, like last year when during the inauguration, 
I think a lot of us were more excited about the fact that there is a woman of color vice president, you know, Shada Biden, that it's like another older white male, right? So just seeing some of those, um, in my view, changes that are positive for our youth are so important. You know, talking about the diversity of boards, I think our mayor has really made it a priority a priority to diversify some of the boards he gets appointments to. Would you like to see that taken a step further? I mean, there's plenty of organizations in Kansas City where, you know, like you were saying, an older white man could nominate some women of color or, you know, just people of color. I think it's interesting. Yes. I, I kind of do the same thing. I walk in and say, how many men are in charge here? <laughs> like, yes. And talking about women issues, <laughs> you know, kind of going back to the whole family foundation, it's like, let the community have the resource. They know where the resources are needed. Like, don't decide for women what's best for us. Don't decide for communities of color how the resources should be invested. So, yes, I see um, there's a lot of talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I just roll my eyes half of the time I hear that because to me, it feels like a checkoff box, right? They appoint a person of color. Um, I'll call it a token. Sometimes it does feel like we're being tokenized. Um, and they appoint this person in this role, but then they don't really want to hear what this person wants to, to do, right? They'll bring the ideas. We will say this would be great for our community. And it's almost like you're sitting in that role. There's a lot of turnover in these diversity, equity, and inclusion appointments or um, roles or whatever at different institutions because people do get burned out that they always have to be the voice for the whole community, but they're sitting on in a room for the diversity, equity, and inclusion where they are the only diversity. <laughs> so we have got to do better with you know, walking the talk, if, if we really are going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, bring in the folks who have the, the lived experience, who know the community, who are like embedded um, and invested in, in doing this work. And I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying about the quality of life investment districts. Like uh-huh. not every neighborhood's parks need the same things. They all have yes. different priorities. Yes, and I see that, you know, like I, I told you, um, I'm up here in the Northland, and I ended up here, long story short, one of the reasons I got this house is because I, had, I was um, serving as, as an educator. There was like this grant program for um, folks who are like firefighters or nurses or educators um, where, you know, they, they help you with this small grant to get your home within a certain zip code and all of that. And you have to be here for at least five years and all that kind of stuff. Right. That's not what you were talking about, but I'm just telling you how I ended up over here. (laughs) I looked in the West side. I looked in Westport. I, you know, I've lived in Waldo before housing is so expensive. Um, so I end up in this area. I didn't even know that like Penguin Park was up the street because I did not know this area. (laughs) And I'm, I, I love that park and it's walking distance. And there's like this, I take my dog there. So what I'm getting at is within walking distance, I have this park that has amazing amenities and, you know, uh, the playground has been updated to have 
um, to serve people with different abilities, right? I've seen things in different languages there. And it's like, ah, I work in inner city four days out of the week. I'm driving through the neighborhoods over in the Northeast and, you know, district three and five and the parks do not look like that. And it really breaks my heart because all of our students deserve to have a penguin park, a loose park. And I know the funding is different, right? But we all pay the tax. We all pay the parks tax. So I'm getting on my soapbox. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I live within walking distance to Bud Park, within walking distance to my office. Honestly, I don't know that I would walk alone to either. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I do want to go utilize my park's resources, you know, they have a swimming pool, they have a park, like a shelter with tables and stuff. Right. And they tell me, Abby, you know, the students that I work with, um, when they ask me, where do you live, Miss Alex? And I'll tell them, you know where Penguin Park is? They're like, oh yeah, we go there. And I'm like, you go there? You're like 15, 20 minutes away. And, and like you said, they live so close to other parks, but most of these parks are in that, you know, the the Kulik district. And, and so it just goes to show the inequities and how much farther we have to go, but then also looking at the budget. <laughs> But it's like, you know, yes, there are there are budget restrictions and whatnot. But again, if we're going to improve these six zip codes with the lowest life expectancy, our our kids deserve better than than what we're giving them at the moment. Well, we're really excited to see those deputy director positions filled to see the work you can do with the Kula districts now that you're on the on the board. And obviously we're excited for all the things that your students are going to do when they get those scholarships, they go out and do great things for Kansas city and for other cities. Um, we've definitely benefited from it here. So we're excited to see it yeah. in action. We have a lot of, uh, scholars from the Northeast side too. So, um, I, I just love to see, you know, like Daisy, you were talking about so many of our scholars are, are doing amazing things and turning at NASA, you know, educators, doctors, lawyers, uh, business owners, cosmetologists. I mean, they're doing such great work and it's not because of our thousand dollar scholarship, you know, it, it truly takes a village, but it all starts with having someone believe in you and, that is us for a lot of the students. And and that's what really, that's why we do the work that we do. Well, I think that's fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I'll be happy to link uh, the Hispanic Development Fund in the caption for this. If anybody feels like donating or volunteering uh, with the parks, even, you know, pick whatever you'd like. (laughs) There's plenty of opportunities to help out. So we appreciate the update and we look forward to seeing what else you get to do in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Uh, and I, I appreciate you all providing um, the news for free. Not everybody can afford to buy a newspaper. And so that means a lot. I appreciate you showing up when it truly matters. I really do feel like you all walk the talk and you and Casey, you are, well, are great. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's super important uh, to serve our community in that way. The free papers getting out Mm -hmm. that important information, also getting to do fun stuff like this. Yeah, access, right? It's like access for the community. So thank you again. Awesome, thank you. And thank you once again to our sponsors, Jamaica's Online Market and Deli and Seaberg Mufflers. For all our Northeast Newscast episodes, articles, and more, visit northeastnews.net. For the Northeast News, I'm Abby Hoover.